Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Drawn from a cachet of personal video recordings from the past 22 years, Director Steve Loveridge's Sundance award-winning Matangi Maya M.I.A. is a startlingly personal profile of a critically acclaimed artist, chronicling her remarkable journey from refugee immigrant to pop star. And that is the backstory behind this wonderful new documentary, as I said, Matangi Maya M.I.A., story of this wonderful artist. Uh, and we're fortunate to have with us the director of the film, and that would be Steve Loveridge. Steve, welcome to Film School. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. Um, for people who are not familiar with uh, MIA, as she's most probably most known, um, tell us a little bit about her sort of her style of music and a little bit about where the music came from, or fill in the blanks, whatever you'd like to tell us about her, knowing knowing her as long as you have. Uh, about her her life and her music. Um, MIA really first arrived on the music scene in about 2003, 2004, and that was just around the same time that YouTube was happening, Napster was happening, a little bit before MySpace really took off. But she was really an internet artist. She found her fan base online and was one of the first people to be one of those kind of buzzy underground acts that managed to break America, but without the usual channels. Mm -hmm. So didn't get much radio play, wasn't, you know, hugely famous in mainstream media, but she was this big underground artist on college campuses. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was really the Internet that was responsible for that. So um, she's originally from Sri Lanka. She was born in the UK, but when she was about six months old, her mum and dad moved back to their native Sri Lanka um, because her dad was very heavily involved in the Tamil militancy there, um, the fight for a separatist state for Tamils, who are an ethnic minority there on the island. Mm -hmm. um, after British colonialism in Sri Lanka, which lasted for about, uh, until about 1948, I think, um, after the British left, uh, the control of the island reverted to the Sinhalese, who were the majority ethnic group, and basically that sparked the seeds of a civil war that lasted about 27 years. It started up in the 80s and carried right through until 2009. Mm. Um, and the documentary is really about these um, very disparate worlds that Maya's from, um, she moved to the UK when she was 10 after the war in Sri Lanka got very intense and her dad stayed behind there. And just the family started all over again. She started, she had to learn English, mm -hmm. find her feet, mm -hmm. um, grew up in kind of extreme poverty in the UK. And then, you know, so we have the reason the film's called Matangi Maya MIA is Matangi is her uh, given birth name that she was called in Sri Lanka. And then Maya is what she called herself when she came to London mm. and was a teenager, and it's how I know her, Maya. Uh, and then suddenly when she was about 26, 27 years old, like quite late in life, 
um, she got a record deal and became a pop star. And mm-hmm. as a performer, she's known as MIA. Yeah, it's a it's really a fascinating backstory, and and I remember I'm old enough to remember the uh, the Civil War, and you would hear a lot about the Tamil Tigers, Sri Lanka, this very bloody, apparently at times vicious uh, back and forth in this in their struggle to establish independence, and um, but for Americans, they, there's just sort of a passing sort of we hear about things, but we don't understand much of the context of what's going on in the p- lives of these people. And in this film, it does a very good job of uh, of giving us a frame to understand uh, a little bit about the conflict and a little bit about uh, Maya's, uh, obviously, her personal connection with her father being one of the people who established the, the resistance movement, but also to understand more about it in a personal and political way and why she herself is such a politically oriented person, not necessarily just about the Tamil, but also about so many things that are that she sees in her worldview. Um, I don't even know if I have a question. I just the film does a nice job of under, of us giving the context from where she came from. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, a film about these. Really, it's a film about culture clashes, right? And what it is not only to be from somewhere like Sri Lanka and end up somewhere like uh, Beverly Hills, um, where she is towards the end of the film, nominated for an Oscar and a Grammy, um, and trying to negotiate what it is to have both of those identities going on inside of you at the same time. But it's also about what it is to bring politics into pop culture, which seem like very uncomfortable bedfellows. Um, And... Some of the kind of pushback and criticism that MIA has faced when she's tried to make essentially very autobiographical work and just talk about what's going on in her life and what the issues are, but how um, how difficult it is to find a space for that voice in Western culture because we're so unused to hearing people from these places with these kind of lifetime experiences. It's quite unusual for somebody who's a first-generation immigrant or a first-generation refugee who's lived both of these realities to, to kind of be given a platform where they're speaking about this kind of stuff. Um, it's usually people who are second or third generation, and that's why I think at the moment the documentary is very timely, particularly in Europe where we're having um, debates around the North African refugee crisis that happened in 2015-16 and this sudden influx of migrants and refugees into Europe and people getting very fraught about that and also the Brexit conversation that we're having in, in the UK at the moment, mm-hmm. um, loads of that's been to do with immigration. So it's been really interesting presenting this film at this time of a kind of 22 years of what it's like to be a family that land in the UK as immigrants and you know, live out the kind of the Western dream, the American dream. She goes from living on a, a kind of poverty-stricken council estate, um, like social housing in the UK, uh, and ends up, you know, married or engaged to a, a billionaire and living in, you know, L.A. Um, yeah. So it's a very extreme kind of Cinderella story or having the American dream, but ultimately it doesn't fulfill. It, it's kind of... Um, not the solution that 
Maya really needs or is looking for because I think she feels very stifled in that environment. The more famous she gets and the more successful, the less she feels free to speak about the issues that she wants to speak about. Um, and the culmination of that in the documentary is that she ends up on stage with Madonna at the Super Bowl in 2012 and sticks up her middle finger and there's a tremendous hoo-ha. Um, probably people remember it. There was uh, a load of um, freaking out in the media that somebody had had flipped the bird at, at the NFL. Yeah. Um, and actually, when you see it in the context of the documentary, um, compared with some of the issues that she's dealing with in her life, it seems like such trivia and yeah. it kind of is interesting, contrasting. The lack of awareness or fuss that she was able to generate when she was trying to talk about the situation in Sri Lanka and the civil war and the ease with which people will flip out over kind of trivial gestures like sticking your middle finger up. Right. Well, that, that's one of the reasons why I brought that up at the beginning was we in, we in the United States, and I'll say maybe in general, in general in the Western world, have so little context about the things that Maya's talking about. We we just have the most cursory headline version of what life is like for most people who who are not us. And so it would be an exceedingly difficult thing to create space in a pop music environment for that to be taken as it should be taken for what it is, but that doesn't happen. And so it, it's a, for her a constant battle to be heard in that way, and in especially in, as she's starting out and she's really trying to trying to pull pull these things into the forefront. So uh, it, it's it's a it's yeah you are you're right a culture clash it's it's a it's a lot of things it's first world second and third world colliding in in ways that uh, we never seem to be able to be interested enough in. We don't care, unfortunately, and uh, and that's a shame. Well, I think we do care. I, I don't think everybody in the West is an awful kind of bigoted racist or anything. I just think that currently the way um, the music industry is set up, the way the television industry and the, the film industry are set up, um, it's very difficult to access for people like Maya, and she's kind of an anomaly, um, someone who's broken through and managed to make it into this, environment but there's an awful lot of pressure to kind of assimilate you can be from another country and you can be from another kind of set of life experiences but people don't really want you to talk about it right. they want you to be a standard pop star and are very surprised and uncomfortable if you talk about anything other than that and there's a sort of there's a, a kind of um received wisdom of how to be an activist, how to be a celebrity activist and how that works. Mm -hmm. And Maya is somebody who finds it very difficult yeah. to obey those rules and conform in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I really think she's going to be the first of many, many people. This is, this is not a unique experience to her. There's 65 million displaced people in the world at the moment. Right. And 25 million of those are refugees. So... You know, I'm sure as as there's much more movement of people going on at the moment, particularly in Europe, we're going to hear stories more and more often from people who've lived a similar life experience to MIA. And I think that she's 
you know, throughout the film, you see her make various successes and various stumbles. You know, she's really treading an untrod path through this film. And hopefully the next kid along that's going to be a pop star and going to be a little M.I.A. in the making sees this documentary and goes, oh, I've, you know, she's managed to find a couple of the rungs and a couple of the stepping stones, and it'll be easier the next time and easier and easier until we get used to hearing from these kind of voices. I think um, in the last few years with the internet, it's opened up uh, so much freedom for people to, you know, minorities that we haven't heard from properly before. Um, so all the while that I was making the documentary, I was fascinated to, to sort of read this explosion in kind of young people being woke and interested in activism and speaking on the internet about social justice issues sometimes really intelligently and sometimes taking it way over the top, you know. Uh, but I think the the internet is still a very, very American space and it's going to take a while before other people from other countries are accessing that and we're having conversations with them. Yeah. So I think that's part of the frustration with MIA is it's still a very... Western world online, even though she's an internet artist. Right, I agree with everything you just said about the that, and that the, the the one comment I'd make about the refugees, the the mass migrations, all the internal and external migrations that are taking place in the world will only be exacerbated as we see uh, countries dealing with climate damage to and how we're going to have to figure out where people are going to be in just a very very short period of time. And it's not where they are now for many of them. So, yeah. So I, and I think you're right about kids or kids, younger people. I think they get it. I think they. It, it's a matter of necessity now uh, increasingly for them to understand mm-hmm. what's going on in the world around them. I want to very quickly shift gears here a little bit, uh, Steve Leverage, and, and your relationship to Maya goes way back to your time in school. Um, and just sort of briefly to talk about uh, obviously a woman of passion and it comes across in the film sort of was there any resistance reticence on her part to hand this over to you or because she gave you a lot of creative control in the film sort of that part of the story is your relationship to her and 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 telling her story um a little bit about that yeah i met maya we both went to film school in about 1995 so we've known each other for about 22 23 years now um And we went to a fine art college and studied sort of experimental uh, fine art films. So um, not standard narrative kind of storytelling, but more like visual image making and and installations and galleries, that kind of thing. Um, And we just bonded. I think we we both had a shared love of kind of pop culture and saw the sort of importance of that in our lives. Um, And I think... Because I've been around Maya for so long and met her family and I've worked with her a lot while on her five different albums that she's done at various times I've designed websites or did the album covers or did visuals when she was on tour or designed costumes, all sorts of different jobs. But we just um, click creatively and so the trust of handing over all of these tapes, um, I met, I was an inexperienced filmmaker. This is my first feature film, but I think that trust was the central issue and that because it was a combination of negotiating the 
the visual and audio aspects of MIA, the pop star, as well as the very, very deeply personal story of her and her family, which um, had to be handled really carefully because you're dealing with issues of her dad's past and his yeah. involvement with the Tamil Tigers. Um, you know, to, to be informed enough on all of those issues to know exactly what he did and didn't do and exactly what Maya has and hasn't said in the media. I think it was just... Uh, helped Maya to relax enough to do it. I'm not sure that she would have trusted another director, and I think it would have been a very different film if it had been somebody that didn't know her personally but was just landed with this massive material. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I finally showed her the finished product, because basically we, we got a lawyer at the beginning and just uh, she signed Final Cut over to me, which was incredibly trusting. I'm not sure I would have been that, that trusting the other way around. Um, yeah, she, she gave me final cut and all the tapes, and I said to her, well, basically, you can't be in the edit suite. It's, I can't make this if you're going to lean over my shoulder and tell me what to put in and what to leave out and be sensitive about it. Just trust me, and I'll come to you with a film when it's finished. And it took a very long time. Uh, as a first-time filmmaker, I made lots of classic mistakes and found it difficult to find just the right team. And There was so much material to work with, so... Overall, it took about five years to make the film with a few stumbles. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think she'd almost forgotten about it, and then suddenly it was in Sundance, and that's when we <laughs> showed it to her for the first time. Well, let, let me pay you a compliment in, in, in regard to someone who's watched the film and um, doesn't know a lot about her beyond what you know, sort of general stuff, and that is this feels like the movie she would have made. I, I feel like her energy is in this film. I feel like her her... Her kind of her, her sensibility, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, and I, I feel like this is a film she would have made. And I, yeah, I hope so. Funnily enough, when whenever she's asked about it in Q and A, she starts by saying, "This isn't the film I would have made." But really? Okay. I do feel that. Yeah, I think because she's and someone who's obsessed with aesthetics, and she's such a, a <laughs> visual kind of artist, and and. Um, isn't confident enough in her own story and her own politics to think that they sustain an eight, uh, 90 minute film. Mm -hmm. I think she would have been making something very different. Yeah. But having said that, the footage in the way I presented it, I was very careful to sort of step out as a voice in the film and make sure that it always felt like MIA speaking for herself without too much steerage from the edit or a voiceover or the director um, and that people are left to feel not only that they're hearing her authentic voice and her story in her own words, yeah. but also that it's kind of, it's an open enough film that you can make your own mind up about her because she has got this reputation for being problematic or controversial and saying the wrong things sometimes or upsetting people with some of the things that she says and treading a very fine line with the politics and the pop culture, that uneasy mix of where it steps over into being crass or self-promotional. You know, she's always getting kind of uh, critical kind of knockbacks, like, are you sincere about your politics or is this just an exercise in personal branding and hyping yourself up as a sort of hipster artist? Where, where's the line there? Um, so I wanted to make something where people could 
feel like they were given the freedom to make their own mind up about her. And if they find her objectionable at times or controversial, then that, there's room for that within the film. Something like the, uh, at the same time as I was making this, obviously, Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary yeah. came out. Yes. And looking at that, it's a very different sort of film style that I felt was inappropriate for this. Like, my film's very much a collage cut-and-paste kind of just-present-the-material-as-it as it exists without very much voiceover, without very much narrative steering in it. Yeah. And I think when you're making a film about someone who's still alive that can speak for themselves, it's really important, particularly when it's someone from a marginalized community, when it's a brown woman in the music industry, it's really important that there's not a white guy giving his opinion and shouting all over the top of her. Because yeah. that's kind of been the story of her music career is the difficulty of getting heard. So I didn't want to be guilty of doing the same thing again and kind of shouting louder than she was and telling people what to think. Well, congratulations on the film. It's a really intimate film. It is, I feel like, again, I'll just say it one more time. I didn't know a whole lot about her. I had heard of her and I was familiar enough, but I'd not. And I feel like I, I'm walking away from this film feeling like I am drawn to her for her passion and for her and for what she believes in. She's a terrific artist uh, as well. And um, I think that's what I wanted to come away from the film was understanding her better. And also for and in introducing me to her in, in, in a way that I never would have had the opportunity to be. And it, it works. It works exceedingly well. As you said, it's Sundance. It did very well. It's done well whenever it's played and uh, where it's gone and critically acclaimed. And uh, just my congratulations to you, Steve Loveridge, for your work here. And it's a terrific film. Great. Thank you very much. That's great to hear. Yeah. You are very welcome. And I, I, I want to thank you so much because I, I know I've – uh, it's been a long day for you, and I, I appreciate you you uh, spending staying around to to uh, to do the to do our interview here. And uh, thank you for being a part of film school today. No worries, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Very much. Uh, the film again is Matangi Maya M I A. We've been speaking with the director of the film, and that would be Steve Loveridge. Steve, thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.